two goes up to Zagnace Arcade and the bar. Three for Mr. B in that old trophy case. Number four, we're still waiting for. Bring on the chase. Out on the field, a mile high, Broncos win his arms I Couple with a break, crew and a friendly orange and blue to the bitter end. Come and join us, DDN, we are. We are DDN, we are. Welcome into the DNVR Broncos post game show presented by Breckenridge Brewery. Shout out to Breckenridge Brewery for bringing you these post-game live pods. Uh, and, uh, Zach, not fun. Not fun, that uh, that game there. No, it wasn't, Ryan. Almost fun. I mean, this one just did feel different than last week. It just felt like this truly would have been a miracle of all miracles, Ryan. And to me, I mean, it was just crazy that there were multiple times where I'm sitting there going, oh, my gosh, it really is a one-possession game, including up until the very end. But – it just didn't feel like the Broncos ever deserved to win this game. It didn't. Uh, and the biggest difference, just the defense. Um, you know, the obviously the Falcons have a have a good offense, and Matt Ryan is an underrated quarterback, probably uh, better than he gets credit for. But the fact that you t- you were without your top two corners, like you just aren't gonna win. Like you aren't gonna get enough stops. I I I felt like. There was hope going into it, and as soon as I started watching guys like Zacharias or whatever his name is tear up old, Devon- old Zach, Z-A-C. tear up Devontae Harris, it was like, okay, well, well you know, what are we going to do up here? Um, the defense did bow up a little bit in the second half, and that's why this ended up being a one-score game, but uh, it, that's why it felt like they were out of the game because it, it didn't feel like you could just count on the defense to get a stop. In fact, it felt quite the opposite. It felt like you couldn't. Now, that's not why they lost the game. Uh, and, and, Zach, let's just jump into our biggest takeaways here. I'll, I'll get yours. What, when you turn this game off and come sitting over here, what's freshest on your mind? What's your biggest takeaway from this? Well, I'm, I'm worried that these fourth quarters are garbage time, uh, points and scores. Now, obviously, last week uh, doesn't necessarily go down as garbage time because they made something I- into it and turned it into to good things. But I do have to worry now, Ryan. The Broncos just went up against two good t- two teams that are excellent at blowing games, at ruining fourth quarters, at blowing leads. And that's when the Broncos have taken advantage. That's when the Broncos have found offense. And yeah, it's great to find uh, and to get going against teams' weaknesses. But Ryan, what happens next week when, you know, the Oakland Raiders aren't good at blowing fourth quarter leads or aren't known for that or against the Dolphins? That's my biggest takeaway from this. And it brings the question back up, you know, who's at fault? on the offense for the slow starts. Another abysmal start from everyone, not just Drew Locke, not just Pat Shermer, not just from Philip Lindsay, everyone on the offense for, from the first, you know, three and or two and a half quarters. And it makes me think, oh boy, who is this Broncos offense? Is it fourth quarter offense the past two weeks? Is it the first half offense the past two weeks? And to me, because this is a loss, it makes me lean more on that it's the first half offense. Oh, what a uh, what a tough to, a conversation to have, and, and I'll just jump into my biggest takeaway here, and it answers the question: Who's at fault? Uh, well, first of all, let me just let me just say, many are at fault. It's not you know, it, it's fun to make that the headline, 
it's not an answerable question in the sense that you just say, here's who's at fault, change this, and everything's fixed. It's not that simple. Um, so maybe it should be who's most at fault for the Denver Broncos offensive woes. And and I can't believe I'm saying this, Zach, but uh, I don't think it's a fit between Drew Locke and Pat Shermer. Uh, and Pat Shermer, it's his job to adjust to Drew Locke, not Drew Locke's job to adjust to Pat Shermer. And so for me, Pat Shermer is most at fault for the Broncos offensive woes. The game plans that he is putting together uh, are just atrocious. Uh, you know, the, the lack of involvement from Philip Lindsay is bad. The inability to get Drew Locke into a rhythm is bad. The second and 10 runs are going to make my head explode. Like, I, I don't know if I'm going to make it through the rest of the season if that continues. It is asinine. It goes against everything we know. It goes against all analytics. And it's not working. And by the way, doing it with Melvin Gordon is 10 times as bad as doing it with Philip Lindsay. So, the it's just it's not work it's not working between Drew Lock and Pat Shermer and unfortunately I don't know if Drew's going to get to the next year uh, to to have a chance to be with another offensive coordinator a sixth offensive coordinator in seven years it would be for him but if he does I don't think keeping Pat Shermer around is the right thing. So are you calling for Mike Shula to finish this year? I mean, this seems like it's bigger than just one game right now for you, Ryan. And I understand that. Um, no, I don't think so. I don't I don't know if I'm calling for that. Uh, I think you might have to try to figure it out uh, without him. Although if Mike Shula, you know, is going into someone's office and saying, hey, look, I'll, I watched the Scangarello offense at the end of last year and I saw what they were doing correctly with Drew Locke and I can – I can run my own version of that. Then maybe you make the, you make that call. But, you know, those two guys are two peds in a pod, Shermer and Mike Shula. So I don't know how much that's going to change anything. But maybe there just needs to be a little fire lit under Pat Shermer because, I mean, his game plans are trash. And that's why the Broncos are getting in these massive holes that they're having to dig themselves out at the end. Now, I know people are losing their minds probably somewhere listening to this saying, Drew Lock this, Drew Lock that. Drew Locke has to be better. He has to be better. But one of these people is basically a rookie. He's in his second year. He has not yet played a full season worth of NFL games. The other one is a longtime NFL veteran. I'm absolutely positively going to give the benefit of the doubt here to the kid who's shown a lot of flashes rather than the offensive coordinator who can't figure out how to put him in a position to, to flash more. Yeah, and uh, Ryan, to me, when it comes to Drew Locke, the biggest thing that we need to know the rest of this season, at the end of the first quarter, I have had him in my notes as a below 80 passer passer rating type quarterback. At halftime, the same. Third quarter, the same. Fourth quarter, a little better than that. Now that pick was absolutely brutal. What's it come out that he is at the end of the game? 77.9 passer rating. Ryan, that's unacceptable. That will not get it done in the NFL. But it's not just all on him, but that's where Drew Locke was today. I think he fit his passer rating number pretty darn well. And he he hasn't really over this past month, the passer rating's been off from how he looked. He was playing better than it. He wasn't as playing good as it. Uh, but today, that's what he was. He was a 77.9 passer. Uh, and he was struggling with, with the play calls again uh, This the, at the beginning of the game. What I mean by that is they were not on the same page. And again, it looked like that Pat Shermer was just trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. And then the fourth quarter comes around just like last week. And 
Pat Shermer changes that round hole into a square hole. And then it just starts working and it just starts chugging along. So the question is, is Pat Shermer not fitting with Drew Locke until the fourth quarter? And then Pat says, shoot, my game plan wasn't working. Let's just change it to what I know Drew does well. And then they do that and Drew starts going off. If that's the answer, then Vic Fangio needs to go sit down or have a socially distant meeting with Pat Shermer and say, enough with your offense. Look, Pat, you're good enough to make Drew good when you play to his strengths. Stop messing around. Do that from the start. Or is really what's going on, Ryan, is his defenses are just playing prevent. They're letting Drew Locke move down the field, but they're just not allowing the huge play to happen. And that's how Drew Locke starts clicking. And then really when you fall back on it, it's not just Pat Shermer's fault. It's not just Drew Locke's fault. It's not just the offensive line fault. It's everyone on the offense's fault. And that is unfortunately the worst answer to have. So no one hopes it's that. Ryan, the easy answer here and the best answer, which is crazy to say, is that it all is it, it, it's all on Pat Shermer and they can bring someone else in after the season, which would be terrible to have another offensive coordinator in here. But man, if, if Drew Locke really is this good, the way he played in the, in the fourth quarter of this game and the way he played in the fourth quarter of last game, and it's just the offensive coordinator holding him back. Well then bright things are in the future for the Broncos. But if it's just defenses play this prevent, then it's not, not good news for the future. It's uh, it's it's just not that simple. Um, as much as we want it to be, it's a combination of things. Today, a massive problem was the offensive line. Um, you know, people want to get mad at Drew for drifting out of the pocket. Well, he has no, he has a couple choices here: drift out of the pocket, or get sacked, um, or end up, you know, almost turning the ball over because the few times that he was trying to step up in the face of pressure today. What ended up happening is someone got pushed right into him and he ended up, you know, kind of trying to throw and getting hit at the same time. And, you know, that ne- that's never a good thing. So the offensive line was a big issue today. I cannot tell you how bad these second and long runs are. Uh, like <laughs> the entire premise that you should have coming into a game is you're trying to get into third and shorts. If you look at the Falcons today, they did a masterful job of being in third and four or less, maybe even third and five sometimes. And Pat Shermer calling these second and 10 runs leaves Drew Locke in third and seven. An astronomical amount. It's like every other drive, they're looking at third and seven on the first series because they called a run on second and 10. That has to stop. That has to stop. And so that's one of the reasons why Drew Locke is succeeding in the fourth quarter. Because uh, Pat Shermer shouldn't have the ability to make those calls anymore. Although, shockingly, he still did it a couple times in the fourth quarter. Which almost, uh, you know, it's a good thing I live on the ground floor is what I'll say. Um, but I, so th- that's got to stop. The offensive line has to be better. It, it was rough out there um, for a lot of guys. Uh, you know, the Drew Lock interception, inexcusable throw, but the throw isn't as bad as Cushenberry and Schlotman just deciding not to block the biggest interior pass rushing threat out there. Now, I realize they didn't just they didn't make that call, but you guys are right next to each other. Just communicate. Like how do, that that can't that miscommunication cannot happen. You literally just turn to them and say that's your guy, or that's my guy. Like, how? I don't know how that happens. Um, 
it's brutal. And then Drew Locke compounds their mistake with a bigger mistake of his own, trying to do too much there. He knew that play was going to work, and that's why he threw it. He knew that play was going to work. Jerry Judy was going to be wide open coming across the middle of the field, and he he just wanted it to happen too much. Uh, and you know, and and you take your step back, and you throw sidearm. Well, the ball goes upwards, uh, and you throw a pick. So there is a lot of issues, but Shermer uh, to me is is very solidly number one, and then it's Drew Locke and the offensive line and the youth. You know, youth is 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 not a problem, but it's a fair excuse. Uh, it's the youngest offense in football. So there's a lot of things that you can look at here. What I just have to say is there's just no point in trying to write the book on Drew Locke now. Eight more games uh, to go in this season. You hope, you hope that he and and Pat Shermer can get on the same page. Pat Shermer can realize what he's doing wrong, although it's not encouraging at this point because he does the same thing every week. But uh, you hope he can get on the same page and Drew Locke can buy himself some more time because that's what he needs. He just needs time on the field to progress as an NFL quarterback. And that's why Drew Locke's not getting benched. And, and I'm happy that Vic Fangio said it last week that it never crossed his mind to bench him. He knows. Vic Fangio said it just a couple of weeks ago. Drew Locke has to play in order to get better and prove if he's the, he's the truth or not. Ryan, one thing that bugged you was the second and 10 runs. What bugged me was all of the checkdowns on third down. I understand that's going to happen once or twice in the game, and that's probably the smart play. You know, a punt isn't necessarily the worst play, but if it happens like every first down for the first three quarters, that is a bad play, and that needs to change. And I don't know if that's on Pat Shermer for only having one route go past the first down marker, and that's his first read, and that's always covered up. Well, then it probably is good to throw the check down. But it just happened time and time again. My, my, I guess it's a mix of the two because sometimes I did see receivers running open. Jerry Judy is always open, by the way. It is just incredible how open he is. And it really seemed like in the fourth quarter, Jerry Judy became Drew Locke's first read, and he was hitting them, and it was easy. I don't know if that's not the case in the first half or what's going on there, but he needs to be the first read on every single third down because I'm so sick and tired on third and seven, like you were saying that it sets up with the second down runs. On third and 10, on third and 13, Drew Locke throwing at three, four, five yards with defenders who are just right there and, and swallow him up and then it's a punt. So those two things together, you're never going to have a good offense doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Um the you know you you called it before the season you called the the problem that we were going to run into here with um, Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay and the 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 hard headedness I guess I'll say to continue to pound uh, Melvin Gordon into the back of the offensive line instead of running the ball with Philip Lindsay more is mind boggling it's mind boggling Melvin Gordon. It ain't it. Like, that's just, I don't know any other way to put it. He just ain't it. Uh, and Philip Lindsay very clearly is it. Now, not great stats for Phil today, but I mean, we know this. This is a long standing thing in the NFL. For a running back to get going, you have to give them enough carries to get into a rhythm. Philip Lindsay, I mean, you didn't even get close to giving Philip Lindsay a chance to get into a rhythm or Melvin Gordon for that, for that matter. But it's become very clear at this point that the guy that you would prefer to get into a rhythm is Philip Lindsay. 
again, another thing that I, I you just leave scratching your head saying, I'm trying to find the stats. I don't know how many carries Phil finished with. Uh, I got him. Go. I, I got him right here, Ryan. Phil finished with eight carries, 23 yards, 2.9 yards per carry. Melvin, six carries, 18 yards, three yards per carry. And to me, it starts with that first number. How many carries both of those guys are getting? And to start off, both of those guys should be getting more than that. It, it, yeah. it, this, this game, you got to take a step back and say, this wasn't just, you know, why aren't they giving Phil the ball? He's running for 10 yards per carry like he has the past two games. Of course that was going on. But Ryan, Drew Locke dropped back 56 times to pass. Philip Lindsay and Melvin Gordon had 14 rushes total. 14 runs for your running backs. 56 dropbacks for your quarterback. That is a, a losing game plan. And what drives me nuts, Ryan, is we're going to hear the exact same thing that we heard last week, and that's going to be, well, we were down. No, it, it was not an even run-to-pass ratio at the beginning of the game. You started off just passing, 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 and then, of course, when you're down 21 points, I get abandoning the run. But, Ryan, why, just regardless of the running back, why are they just abandoning this except on second and ten? Yeah. Uh, also, I, I kind of disagree with that being a big drop from Phil. Uh, you know, he's going to gain 10 yards and the clock was going to run 20 seconds off. Um, hate to see the, the drops regardless, but I don't think it was I don't think it had a really an impact on the result. Um, what was your question again? Sorry, I lost my train of thought. Regardless of if it's Phil or Melvin getting the ball. Why aren't the Broncos running the ball uh, a decent amount, a lot to start the game? Again, I get it when you're down 21 points that you're going to abandon it, but this was never close. Yeah, Zach, I wish I had an answer for you. Um, uh, The the, the offensive coordinator, that's why. Uh, You know, like uh, you abandoned an offense that thrived on the quarterback being under center and running the ball and having a fullback on the field for a guy who loves to go three wide and come out of the shotgun. And I guess, you know, you thought that was the coordinator that was going to give Drew Locke the best opportunities to to succeed. But as we're seeing now, you know, development matters. And Drew Locke was developing under that offense. And so it's no surprise that this year he's better out from under center and he's better on play action. I think I – it was like in the fourth quarter when the Broncos had no hope of running the ball. Like there was no reason to run the ball at that point, but they ran a play action and drew through a strike and you know, they, they got a first down and it was like, yeah, just, you can do this at any time. There's no, you know, like it doesn't like it just run the ball more, but even if you aren't run more play action. Um, so, you know, they, they abandoned that offense for this offense. This offense doesn't run the ball as well and it doesn't run the ball as much. Uh, and so that, that's something that they're going to have to figure out because it's very clear to me that this team needs to be this team needs to be running the ball on first down and gaining three, four, five yards. They need to be multiple on second down if, unless it's uh, it's unless it's second and long in which they should be passing it. But every, I mean, not every time, far, far, far too often it's incomplete pass run for three, incomplete pass. And everything, it's just so backwards there. Like, if you want to run the ball once per series, run the ball on first down. And if it doesn't work then, then you have two downs to gain what you didn't get on on that down. It just, it's so out of sync. It's so out of rhythm. There's no creativity. We have not seen the Melvin Gordon, Philip Lindsay package since week one. 
I realized there was a gap there where neither of them were healthy. But, like, where is it? Where's that? Where's the pistol? Drew was awesome out of the pistol last year. Last year. Where is the pre-snap motion? Where is any – like, it just – it looks like a guy. It looks like a guy. You know, uh, when you play someone in Madden who just calls the top suggestion on coach suggestions and just runs it, and they don't look at what the defense is showing them, and they just run it. And I'm not saying that literally, but this offense just feels so vanilla. There's no creativity. There's no misdirection. There's no any of that. And when there is those things, Ryan, it's good. I mean, how much do we all love seeing KJ Hamler taking the ball into space on a little run? love seeing that it's worked every single time we've seen it. We see the speed when he gets the ball and you do it once. And I'm not saying you call the exact same play again, but you do creative things. Did you see Patrick Mahomes today? He's doing end arounds and moving. That's what you should be doing with KJ Hamler time and time again, Ryan, at times I'm saying this offense is looking like what it's supposed to be looking where Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler combined for 24 targets, 200 receiving yards, one touchdown, KJ Hamler's moving around. And at times I'm going, you know, banging my head against a brick wall going, what are they doing? It's just, it's crazy that they just don't play to their strengths more often. And this is just every single game. This was just a really good game uh, to be able to see every single side of that. And uh, another one of the things to throw in there, Ryan, you were saying, why aren't we seeing Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay on the field more? Another one, Albert O., and Noah Fant, why aren't we seeing those two guys on the field more? Uh, you know, our, our guy BK asked Pat Shermer last week about it, and Pat Shermer fought back with him and said, we are doing that. They're on the field a lot, and they're going to be on the field together a lot. Didn't see it. And now, obviously, wishing the best for Albert Okuebunam, who has a knee injury, was out for the rest of the game. After the game, Vic Fangio just updated it, saying it was a knee injury, which we knew did not have any further details there. So really, really hoping for the best for Alberto as he's really taken off these past couple of weeks, but they're not doing the creative things that seem so obvious that at least they have a chance to work. Yeah. You, you hope for Alberto that he's okay. Alberto. Um, just, I, I have no clue what happened. Obviously I, it kind of, to me looks like the Mahomes injury last year um, where it looks a lot worse than it is because it hurts a lot and it's scary and that's of course the dislocated kneecap. If you, it, it's hard to see because he's wearing the dark tights under there. Um, but it looked maybe like his kneecap was a little out of place, um, which obviously will cause you a lot of pain. But Patrick Mahomes played the next week, I believe, or, or missed one one game, maybe I can't remember. Um, so you hope it's that, not a torn ACL or any of that other crap that happens with the knee. Um, but if if and I'll touch wood because I hope this is not the case. If Albert Okuebunam is done for the season. You absolutely 100% positively missed your entire opportunity to use the weapon that is him and Noah Fant on the field at the same time. Like, it is mind-boggling. None of that. None of uh, Philip Lindsay and Melvin Gordon anymore. Like I said, no pistol. Uh, very little uh, eye formation. It's like the same damn two formations the whole game, it's uh, it's really rough to watch. It's, it's really rough to watch. And uh, I just hope that they give they, – they figure this out and give Drew Locke a better chance to succeed because I really believe in Drew Locke. And, and these games really 
do very little to my belief in Drew Locke. Um, you see, you see when he can make these throws. You see that he's good on the when he gets out of the pocket and gets moving. You see that he, you know, it can be accurate. But I understand the frustration of the fans because he's not getting it done. And I just, I, I think that there's a lot at play there. It's a combination of his youth, his development that still needs to happen and the fact that he's not being put in a position to succeed and the fact that he's just not playing well enough like it's all of those things but you should be taking the things that he can't control and doing a better job with those yeah 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 absolutely should and and ryan we've touched on these guys but here's some positives coming out of the game if that's okay if we jump jump into DraftKings king of the game right now because man, Jerry freaking Judy looking like that first round pick. He has a career game today. And Ryan, we've seen it on film. When you go back and watch the all 22s after every game, what do you notice? Oh, Jerry Judy's wide open. Jerry Judy's open. Jerry Judy's open. Today, Drew Locke said, Jerry Judy's open a lot. So I'm going to look to him. 14 targets. That's exactly what we need from Jerry Judy. Seven catches, 125 yards. First 100-yard game for him. And a touchdown on top of that. And, man, he looked like the first-round pick the Broncos drafted. Man, that was awesome. Um, the, the touchdown that Drew Locke threw to Jerry Judy is – everything we dreamed of uh, when they made the selection or before they made the selection, we were hoping they would make the selection. Drew Locke hits his back foot, anticipates that of course, Jerry Judy's going to break his man off, breaks him off, comes open by like six yards with one move, catches it, makes an easy move, makes a guy miss easily and scores. And it was just like, Oh, thank the Lord. That <laughs> is what we, that's what we were looking up for. That is what we are talking about all offseason. You have to – so this is something that Drew can absolutely do a better job of, and you, and you saw him do it. You know he can do it. Anticipating Jerry Judy's openness. When he makes his move, he will be open. That's just how it works. And, in fact, even when he's not open when he makes his move, as you saw on the deep ball late, he gets himself open while the ball's in the air. He So Drew – needs to trust Jerry Judy a little more. And I think they took a step in the right direction today, which is just, I can hit my back foot. No Jerry's about to come out of his break and let the ball go. And Jerry's going to run right into it. Um, but uh, you love to see it. And, and let's not ignore the fact that KJ Hamler tacked on another 75. So between your first round pick and your second round pick, that is 13 catches for 200 yards. And yep. an average That'll of do. about 15 yards per catch. Yep. That'll do. Yeah, and that's something where props to Pat Shermer, Drew Locke, whoever there at the end of the game, looking to both of those guys. That's what needs to happen for the rest of this season. Look, we know what Tim Patrick is, Ryan, and he he's a darn good receiver that can be on your team as, you know, a good a good backup to come in and fill in for your number one receiver or be a very solid third receiver, be a very solid second receiver. We need to, we know what Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler can be. Now we need to develop them so that they can be these guys next year, the year after. Jerry Judy can be a dominant one to Cortland Sutton's 1A or 1B. KJ Hamler can be this explosive guy. We need to see these guys more. And man, 
when we got to see Jerry Judy's potential today, Ryan, you, you talked about the touchdown he had, and it wasn't on the same degree as Julio's touchdown, but I mean, come on, how open was Julio just on a dirty, dirty route? Just, I, I mean, just killed Michael Ojemudia on that one. Jerry Judy, similar. It was to a lighter degree, but similar. And the CBS broadcast said it well uh, in the fourth quarter. They said, when you throw it to Jerry Judy, he either catches it or draws the foul. And then, there was a response that said, sounds like a young Julio Jones. And man, that I mean, that that's kind of, if you want to take a bright spot from this game, it's that, is that we are seeing the flashes from Jerry Judy. And today was a huge flash, his biggest flash. He's been pretty consistent and at least putting up 50 yards per game. And he hasn't felt like incredible. This game didn't feel like, oh my gosh, this is Jerry Judy's ceiling to me. It felt like, okay, this is a really good game from Jerry Judy. This is something that we can see week after week after week. And you look back and it's seven catches for 125 yards and a touchdown. Yeah. 14 targets. You'd like to see that go up uh, and not up. I should say you'd like that, to see there, the catches, yeah. the target or targets ratio go up. Right. Uh, and that's on true too. And that's also, you know, we'd have to look at the tape to see what happened on each and every target. Um, it also, you know, I'm going to mention this a lot because every game just keeps getting worse and worse. Not having Cortland Sutton just sucks so much. Like, yeah, you know, that catch, non-catch from Tim Patrick in the end zone on the fade route. I, I don't know how I put this other than I just – I didn't think he wanted the ball enough. Like, mm. I thought he wanted the call more than he wanted the ball. Uh, mm. And that one – in the first one, he got – he that should have been pass interference. Should have been first and goal from the one. The second one, I felt like he thought, okay, I need to sell it even harder this time because they didn't call it the first time. Instead of just catching the ball because he actually wasn't interfered with, and if he just lays out or gets his second arm up there, we might be talking about a different game entirely. He didn't uh, put probably, the second arm up. I know, because he was trying to draw the foul when there wasn't one. Yeah. It's frustrating. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. if that's Cortland Sutton, that's probably an easy touchdown. Yeah, yeah. And, and then just what does that do to Jerry Judy now? Because teams, if Cortland Sutton were healthy and came back next week and he was 100% ready to go, teams have to be given more attention to Cortland Sutton than Jerry Judy, right? I mean, Jerry Judy just had his first 100-yard receiving game, so they're giving him more attention. Well, now what's that do for Jerry Judy? Excuse me. I know Tim Patrick has produced at a very high level this season, but he's not Cortland Sutton. He's nowhere close to Cortland Sutton. So what could that do for Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler? And I just love seeing KJ Hamler get involved in the game plan finally on offense. And it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. Not enough. Uh, but you know, little steps in the right direction. The, the Drew Locke, Jerry Judy relationship took a step in the right direction today. And you'd love to see that. And hopefully that'll help. Um, I, just out of curiosity, Zach, do you, depending on what happens, and let's say Drew stays on a similar track to what he's on right now, do you think the Broncos will make a change at quarterback, make a change at offensive coordinator, or both, or neither? Man, man, something, something has to change, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Man, can they really go a different coordinator route? <laughs> I mean, if you're changing the quarterback, what's the problem with changing the coordinator? Oh, man. So then this conversation would lead it to be that it's the offensive coordinator that's that's going to change. And then you just give Drew another rough situation in order to develop. If it keeps going like it is right now, though, and we see 
flashes from Drew where that's one out of every four quarters, I think it's the quarterback that that changes. And I think Vic just gives Pat Shermer one more year. So it's not, what would that be? Like 10 coordinators in 10 years. I mean, that's an exaggeration, but you know, six and six, seven and seven, is that what it would be? Yeah. Holy smokes. I mean, so I think that's just why Vic Fangio would give, give him the benefit of the doubt here. Well, okay, let's go through it. So you have the last year with John Fox. Um, who was the coordinator that year? It was oh – It doesn't gosh. matter. It doesn't <laughs> matter. So you know there was one that year. Yeah. Then, of course, you bring in Gary Kubiak. So yep. that's Kubes and Rick Dennison. Yep. And they ha- they're together another – no, no, no. Sorry, they're yes, they're together yes, another two years. Two years. So now we're at three, two and three years. Um, then you bring in Vance Joseph and Mike McCoy. Mike so, goes half the year. Right. Okay. So you even it up. Then now it's four and four years, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. And then you have Fangio and Scangarello. And now you have Fangio and uh, and Pat Shermer. So it's six and six years. Brutal, brutal, and and that's that's not going to help anyone. I, John Elway knows that the best. He knows how important that is, and that would be the argument to keep everyone together for another year. But just when you simply look at it, Ryan, and you take away, and now you take away the fourth quarter this week and last week, and you can't really do that. But this Broncos offense isn't scoring any points, none in this entire season with Drew Locke as the quarterback. So you have to take a really deep look and say, who is it and what's going on? Because a change would need to have been made. And Drew Locke has not had a lot of things go his way. But Ryan, at the end of the day, his stats are rough. And I think that's something that just so many people are going to be hammering, whether it's right or wrong. If it continues down this road where Drew ends up being, you know, a sub 80 passer rating quarterback. He did, I believe, get himself to positive touchdown to interception today. Yes, he would have with that two to one today. Now it's seven to six, right? Six to five, I believe. Six to five. <clears throat> Got to be better. Uh, in in the end, his stats actually don't look all that bad, except for the completion percentage. But you know, we know what we saw. It wasn't good uh, from him or anyone else on the offense all day. All right, let's continue with the helmet stickers. We talked Jerry Judy. We talked uh, KJ Hamler. Well, I guess we didn't formally give KJ Hamler. I want to give KJ a, a a helmet sticker. Who else do you have? Uh, well, you got to go to the defensive side if that's okay. We talked a little defense, and I'm going to Sang Bassy man. The Broncos were hosed with their cornerback situation. Against any team, it's going to be really tough not having your two top cornerbacks. And the Broncos' two top cornerbacks are everything to this team. Boye and Callahan. Callahan, of course, late scratch. That was brutal for the Broncos. And so they come out, and they have arguably their two top cornerbacks are rookies. Michael Ojemudia, Asang Bassi, and then you just have journeyman. Devontae Harris, Duke Dawson, uh, and a guy you just brought off the practice squad yesterday in Tolliver. And one of those guys really stepped up. One of those guys was the undrafted rookie this year, saying Bassey. He really impressed me at first with his run stuff. And he had multiple tackles for a loss. He was very impressive. You can tell why Vic Fangio really likes him and why Vic Fangio kept him over Bosby. Now, of course, that's a conversation that we'll have in a few minutes because that's not the right choice is just keeping one or the other. But you could tell that he is a Vic Fangio-type cornerback, willing to get in there, willing to hit. And then he also impressed me in pass coverage, too. So I have to give him a helmet sticker. Absolutely deserved. Um, he was kind of awesome 
and uh, I'm happy for him because, you know, he's played a lot week one, and his time has slowly gone down since then. Um, but I think he earned some more playing time today. Um, man, there's not that many guys that deserve it. No. Um, trying to think if I'm missing someone here. Draymond Jones was solid. Yeah, yeah, you um, could give him one, I think. Yeah, I, I think I'll give him a helmet sticker. But, man, Man, that offense, doesn't sound like the most encouraging helmet sticker. <laughs> no, it's it's, you know, it's like a, well – we have this extra helmet sticker. So. <laughs> we thought we were going to at least have four guys. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we have a four pack and they're, uh, they're customized for this week. So uh, we have to give it, I can't hold on to it for next week. Um, yeah. Draymond was, was good. He had a sack. Uh, you know, I just, I'm, I guess I'm surprised by how little resistance the defense gave, even knowing what they were going up against just because I thought that, that Vic Fangio kind of had the magic when it came to that. Um, but I think we learned today that there's a breaking point um, to how many backups you can cover up in a game. Like, you know, last year, Devontae Harris played like three games. And the first two games, you're like, wow, I didn't, we didn't even really talk about him. That was good for him. And then the third game, it was like, okay, yeah, he kind of got smoked. Um, and, and like, there's just so many different cases where a backup comes in and you're like, oh, he didn't really negatively affect the team at all today. And now you just, you know, you look at this game and it's like, okay, so you have three backups on the defensive line um, and then three backups in the secondary, right? Uh, Two backups in the secondary, but then also a backup outside linebacker. Okay. So six, six, six of 11, over yeah. half your starting defense, Half of your starting defense was, was backups. And, uh, there's just, I just don't think there was any magic Vic Fangio could have pulled out of his hat, especially against this team. You know, like maybe if it was a one dimensional team, you would have had a better chance, but they're, they ran the ball well enough to make you honor it. And Matt Ryan, geez, he doesn't miss open guys. Um, that was like my number one takeaway is like, okay, well, if a guy gets open on third down, he's catching the ball and they're moving the chains. Um, and that's, you know, that hopefully Drew Locke was inspired by that because that, you know, you need more of that from him. Yeah, you, you certainly do. And Ryan, when you're without more than half of your starters on defense, your stars that are still there have to step up. And that did not happen for the majority of the Broncos stars. And when I'm talking about stars, I'm talking about the big three that are still on this Broncos defense. Justin Simmons, who did step up. He's the one that did step up. And that was really an easy pick for him. But still, he came down with the big play. That was an opportunity for the Broncos to really get back in the game before it was like just too late. And the Broncos offense wasn't able to capitalize. But then Kareem Jackson was flying around all day. You love the energy. But he and the other Broncos stud, Bradley Chubb, didn't come up with huge plays, and they also came up with two terrible, terrible penalties that you can't have, and, and that just ruined any Broncos' momentum. They, they were going to have both 15-yard penalties on the same drive. Uh, Kareem, we love the fire that you bring. You can't lower your helmet, and you can't lower your helmet and then make helmet-to-helmet contact. That's a penalty every time. And Bradley Chubb didn't get after Matt Ryan, and then also that roughing the passer penalty, I didn't want to believe it, but it was so bad. I mean, it was so bad. It was like two steps after he had thrown the ball and then he just pushes him and pretty big. I don't think there was a flop there or at least he was going to fall over. So you can't have mental mistakes 
when you're when you're the Broncos, and then you can't have mental mistakes when you're down. Yeah, the Bradley Chubb one is like a frustration penalty, and and that you just can't do that. Like you have to be smarter than that, and you have to be more composed than that. Like he just he pushed him because he wanted to, because he was upset and frustrated. Uh, and it, it cost the team 15 yards. He's turning into that Domitopeco type of uh, penalty, unnecessary roughness penalty guy, where it's just not the guy you would expect. And during the week, he is that leader. He's a leader on the field. But then he just comes up with these boneheaded decisions that just that that kill him. And again, at that point in the game, it didn't really feel like the Broncos were coming back, but it felt like the Broncos had to get a big stop there, and they just weren't able to. Yeah, yeah. Um all right, well, we should have Mace here in a second. I'm excited to hear about, um, you know, kind of what they're talking about. Um, curious to see if, if Vic Fangio was critical at all uh, of Pat Shermer or just the offensive play calling as a whole. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see what he has to say. Uh, obviously, the story of this game is going to be Drew Locke. He's the story of every game, really, this season. Broncos are 3-5 and five now. Weirdly enough, Still a path to five and five. Yeah, uh, you know, very. It's very clear. You beat the Raiders. You beat the 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 Dolphins. You're a five and five football team. You're right back into it. So that win last week, we talked about how huge it was. You could now absorb this one, but you're right back to where you were. Right, you're right back to where you were going into last week, which is lose the next one, and you're probably buried. Um, and and maybe the Broncos, you know, claw their way out of it, play a little better, but. It's uh, it's all gonna come down to that Drew Lock Pat Shermer relationship, and I, I I don't know. Do you have any theories, any any possible advice you can offer them on what what they can do to try and get better on the same page? Let Drew Lock loose, and what I mean by that is get him on the move, and it doesn't have to be fifty yard passes to get him on the loose, but get him out of the pocket. Today, I really like that Drew Lock tried to stay in the pocket but it seemed like he was forcing it just like so many times in the sec- in the first half last week. He was forcing to do what Pat Shermer wanted. I think Drew Locke and Pat Shermer can find a good middle ground there, but it involves getting Drew Locke out on the move. Then he can look deep. Then he can look short. Then he can do those things. But Drew Locke clearly needs help right now, Ryan. He's, he's about an 80 quarterback passer rating right now. And so that means you need to do things to help him out. That means he isn't fully there. That means there's still development left. So break it down so it's half the field for him. You saw when he was on the move today, that's when he was making his best decisions. And it's so clear every single week that that's what he likes to do. And it's so clear that Pat Sherman just isn't doing that in the first halves. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we got our guy here. So let's bring on Andrew Mason coming to you from Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Is that what, that's what it's called, right? Yes, correct. As, a, as opposed to... What, what has it been? The Mercedes Benz Superdome? Oh, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mace, are you rocking the uh, Atlanta Braves mask down there in Atlanta? Do I see that A? Oh, that's correct. I had to, Zach. You know that. It's a little, uh, let me get the rest side right here. We got Atlanta Braves here. We got the number five for my guy, Freddie Freeman, over there. So, nice. I mean, it's, it's, it's full tilt went with, went with the player mask today. And actually, this is what I like about this, and this is a total mask nerd thing, is it's hard to find adjustable masks, but this is. I like a little. I like a little more breathing room over on the ear flaps. But uh, it's <laughs> it's good to see you guys, even though the result was not what the Broncos wanted today. 
Yeah, speaking of being adjustable, uh, <laughs> a, a big conversation we've had here is about the relationship or lack thereof between Drew Locke and Pat Shermer. Mace, uh, why don't you just answer the question? That's the headline uh, of this show. Who is most at fault for the Broncos' offensive woes? Wow, that, that, that's a good question. Um, I, I think you have to go Shermer if we're, ta- if we're assessing blame right now. It is Shermer more than Locke, but it's not that Drew Locke isn't culpable. And I think as we dive into Drew Locke's performance in the next few days, uh, one of the things that I want to see as I review the film, but I noticed a lot watching from the press box today, was once again, a lot of the good stuff for Drew Locke was happening with rush four, drop seven. Now, the Falcons, they weren't dropping 10 yards back the way the Chargers were last week. They weren't conceding as much, but it was still somewhat of a similar pattern. So how much of that is even contributing to Drew Locke's success? But you've got to do some things uh, to, to, to put him in position. I mean, you, know, you, t- you take that sequence before the, f- the field goal in the first half, and, and you're just chucking it. Where's the handoff to Philip Lindsay there? You know, where's that sort of element with things that, that have worked for this offense to keep defenses off balance. We didn't see it today. We did not see much of an attempt to keep the Falcons honest defensively to, to take them, to take them out of their philosophy, to make them confused in any way. And that's concerning. I know you can go through the whole thing of you didn't have the off season, blah, blah, blah. But you know what? There are things that you, that you ought to be able to do in terms of play calling and to kind of shake things up that you're not doing early on. That's a huge concern. So, Mace, you're telling me you didn't like 56 passing dropbacks to only 14 combined rushes for Philip Lindsay and Melvin Gordon? Uh, <laughs> no. And, in fact, you mentioned those numbers, and it reminds me of another November game inside a dome. Now, of course, they had the roof open down here in Atlanta today. But remember that Bronco-Ram game back in 2014 in St. Louis where the, the pass-to-run ratio got out of hand? tell you a true story from that Adam Gase was the offensive coordinator at for that game and I'll never forget bumping into him in the team cafeteria the next day and he apologized to me <laughs> and I'm like what why Adam <laughs> he's like I let it get away from me I, I let the game I let the game the play calling get away from me we should have run the ball more we didn't and uh, and I'm like I'm kind of consoling him, like it's it's okay, man. You know, <laughs> but uh, it's it's funny. Like the Adam Gase I know is totally different than the Adam Gase everyone believes Mace, him to be. <laughs> Mace, what are the chances of you bumping into Pat Shermer in the Broncos cafeteria tomorrow and him apologizing to you for the game plan today? Well, let's face it, with COVID, with COVID zero, but um, not happening. I I do I do think it's worth it's worth asking on Thursday about that. I mean, what you know because sometimes what happens to play callers is you get you're not thinking in terms of run pass ratio no play caller is thinking like well i've got to run 50 percent of the time there nobody thinks that way you're kind of reacting to the flow of the game but sometimes you get you, you get too wrapped up in it that some maybe you just have to pause and say okay maybe here's a good opportunity for a draw play here's a good opportunity to get some outside zone with philip Lindsay or melvin gordon and and these are the things that over the long haul of the game end up paying off. And we're not seeing that. It's frustrating to watch because, you know, the Broncos have the, the horses to be able to do this. Yeah. yeah. And and something that's not going to help Philip Lindsay's case that, that I just remembered from this game when you were talking, Mace, is mm-hmm. when he was plowed over uh, on his way to that Drew yeah. Locke stack. 
that's going to be yeah. something that, you know, the coaches point to and say, this is why we have, have Melvin Gordon. And, and uh, now I'm not saying that's right, but that's just going to be another thing that, that people point to and say, that's why Melvin Gordon's in the game. That's also a bad uh, – Philip Lindsay shouldn't be blocking. I, I'm blanking on his name, but that, that's, that's the wrong assignment for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're putting him in a position to fail, and that's something that we're seeing across the entire offense throughout the game is guys being put – in a position to fail. Um, so it's, it's goes both ways. Also, Melvin Gordon absolutely whiffed uh, on the last series as well and got Drew Locke nearly killed. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it was, it's all over the place. Yeah. Um, but it, it comes down to putting guys in a position to succeed. And I just really, really don't think uh, it has, it's happening nearly enough. Uh, Mace, you talked to most of uh, the, the people that were talking, you talked to all of the people who talked after the game. So what did, yeah. what did we learn? Well, Drew's gutted emotionally. And, and I mean, he's, he, he's a guy who has everything on the surface. You know, there, there's no hiding anything when he's happy, you know, it today. I mean, he, he was bleeding after this metaphorically speaking. Um, I like seeing that Jerry Judy. I mean, that poor dude, he's never dealt with team failure in his football life. And now he's sitting here on a three and five team that has given up 30 plus three games in a row that can't seem to play a good first half to save its life. I mean, and, 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 you know, you heard the, I tweeted out the comment, Judy saying he's tired of losing. Can can you blame him at this point? I mean, he is working his tail off in practice and uh, that's something that multiple guys talk about. You see the results out, out, out there. He's, he's taking the steps that he needs to take, but, uh, it, it takes more than just the occasional – it takes more than just a few players doing great jobs. It, it takes the entire team. And the, the other thing is they are – nobody seems to know what's going on with these early game struggles and how to fix them. That, that's something that's concerning. I mean, I, I asked Justin Simmons at the end of his availability about uh, what can be done. How do you remedy this? And uh, he opens by saying, like, that's a good question. But they, they, they don't know – specifically how to get out of this pattern of digging themselves these huge early holes. I mean, you guys might have seen the stat I put out there on Twitter that only the Jets and the football team trail by two scores or more more often at halftime than these Broncos. Yikes, that that is not good. And Mace, there's so much that you said to unpack there. My first is a question for you. Last week after the game, Vic Fangio said, you know, even if we wouldn't have scored that final touchdown, even if that pass would have been incomplete at the end of the game, I still would have felt really good about where this team was and where he was trending. With the Broncos making another fourth quarter push here, did he have a similar uh, mentality towards this team? Was he proud of them? Was he disappointed? Did he like the fight at the end? Or was it just too little too late? It felt more like too little, too late in this case uh, than 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 really liking the fire. It felt it it felt like they were looking at themselves and saying, "Okay, why are we digging ourselves these holes in the first place? Why can we only seem to play fifteen minutes? When are we going to start playing sixty? I mean, at this point, I think you'd settle for thirty. The way this just thirty minutes, and then figure out how to get to." how to get to 60. I think uh, when it ha- when it's happening so many times and, and you can include the chiefs game in this as well, digging yourself, digging a 15 point hole there in the first half. It's, it, it's just, it's, it's numbing. It's, it's numbing at this point. I think you're just saying, okay, 
uh, what, what's the answer here? Because this keeps happening again and again and again. And you know what? You're not going to face the Chargers every week. And you're not even going to face the Falcons every week. I mean, you go up against a team, uh, let's say a couple weeks from now, you go up against the Dolphins, who I believe came into the into this week leading the league in scoring defense. You think you're going to be able to come back if you dig yourself this sort of hole against Miami? Probably not. No, yeah. especially, you know, a young quarterback with a good defense there. They, they won't let that happen. So, Mason, another thing you said was Drew Locke. Uh, it seemed it seemed like he was bleeding emotionally on the inside mm-hmm. after this game. We know that's not typically how he is. Is that a good thing or a bad thing that now Drew is down? Uh, it, well, you know what? He was down a couple weeks ago, and look how he came out the next week, especially at the end of that game. I, I, do, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think okay. you know there there are some guys who 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 don't want to let you let anyone see him sweat. I, I think Drew is uh, Drew keeps things on the surface. I mean, he, he'll. You know, he's hurting right now. He's gutted. I think it's only going to make him work harder. I think that there's a couple sides to it. Um, I think that what we're seeing here is the frustration of the lack of chemistry that he and, and Pat Shermer have together. And I think it's driving him nuts. And he knows whether, you know, people think he should look at it or not, he's probably going to open up Twitter at some point today, and he's probably going to read a press clipping or two at some point. You know, it's, it's what most players do, believe it or not. Um, and he knows that when these games happen, the fans are going to be losing their minds, and everyone's going to be saying he's not the answer. And it hurts. You know, it hurts because just a month ago or two months ago, Everyone loved Drew Locke, and now half the fan base at least is divided on him, uh, and people are calling for his head and saying mean things. That I guarantee you, if you go look, you know, just type in his name and see people who have added him on Twitter, you'll find dozens of people, you know, calling him names. So I think he's gutted after games like this because he knows that you know people are uh, are doubting him when he has a lot of belief in himself, but he know it's just so frustrating for him. Mm-hmm that they can't get on the same page together. Yeah, exactly. Now, there's one other thing that Drew said that I want to ask you guys about, and I apologize if you've already commented on this. What did you think of him saying that that throw to Judy that was picked off, he would make 10 out of 10 times? I Explain to me what he's saying. He's saying he, sh- he normally that, makes that throw 10 out of 10 times? No, that the decision to throw the ball when you're under pressure, you're oh. off balance, you're falling back. <laughs> Really? That he he would choose to crank it and throw it 10 out of 10. Well, he he told us that he and John Elway have some pretty heated discussions after games. Of course, John not at the game today, but that's probably one where – you know, when John's back in the building is saying, no, Drew, you don't make that throw 10 out of 10 times. You don't. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, no. Um, I hate to hear that. What, what what I think if you had a deeper conversation with him about it, I think mm-hmm. what he'll tell you is Jerry was open and I'm, yeah. I, I can make that throw. So I will make that throw 10 out of 10 times because I should just completed the pass. I just threw it poorly, um, which – you know, that's 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 what gunslingers are. Um, and so you're, you're going to have to live with it. What I especially don't like about it is the position on the field that yeah. it was. Uh, you know, it's the first play of the drive. If that's third down, 
I say, yeah, the kid's trying to make a play, you know, didn't want to punt. They, they couldn't afford to punt at that, at that juncture. Or if they're across the 50 and, you know, he knows that if he gets that ball into Jerry Judy's hands there in field goal range, it's a first play of the drive, Drew. You, you just don't need to do it. You don't need to do it. There was no, you, you know, throw the ball away or even take the sack uh, and live to fight another down. But I do, I, I, I almost guarantee he'd say, look, I knew the play was going to work. It was there. All I have to do is just throw it better, and Jerry's still running right now. Yeah, and the, but the thing is, though, you make that throw when you're off balance and going off your back foot and all that. How many times do you complete that throw in the NFL with tight with the tight windows and coverages being what they are? That's about a what about a, even to Jerry Judy? That's about a one in ten shot at that point. Whereas at Mizzou where you at the college level, even in the SEC, you're going to be able to complete that three or four, 10 times at three or four out times out of 10, if you put it on the money like that. So this is just part of where, you know, this is something he did at Mizzou and occasionally it worked out. It's not going to work out as often as the NFL and everything you said, RK about the situation, first play of the drive, that's on point. You've got it. You've got to throw it away, live to play another day. And the throw wasn't even close either. Uh, And so it's not like it was just off his fingertips or something. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Drew is learning though. Guys, last week there there was a play where he's he's running and instead of running out of bounds to take a two-yard loss, he just tosses it out of bounds. And that was progress from what we had seen from multiple weeks in the past. Now a step back with doing something like this. We need to see him just rebound next week. And maybe he's in the exact same similar situation where there's pressure in his face. He's running instead of throwing across his body on his back foot. He just tosses it out of bounds. That would be the progress that we need to see because Drew's not going to be perfect by the end of this year. He's not going to be Patrick Mahomes. And that's how we're going to say, ah, okay, Mm -hmm. this is the guy. Cause now he's Patrick Mahomes. Now, no, we're just going to have to see him get better and better and better. Mace, I want to ask you a question that I asked Zach mm-hmm. earlier today. Uh, if things continue on this track, and let's say things get, you know, it's it's a mix of good and bad. I'll just say that. It's a mix of good and bad from here on out. There's a lot of frustrating games. There's a couple of exciting moments and, and big flashes from Drew Locke, but it stays on this sort of track. Is there a new quarterback, a new offensive coordinator, neither or both? There's a new quarterback to compete with Drew Locke. In other words, it is, you're doing what the Titans did with Marcus Mariota. Someone is being brought in as a hedge. My bet is that it would be Sam Darnold. Yeah. If that yep. happens. Yeah. When you were saying that, that's exactly who I was thinking. Sam Darnold's coming to Denver. Yeah. And, that's a lot to give up to just have a competition. Yeah, I get it, but it's you're trying to figure out how to get the quarterback position right. And the thing, and what you're thinking is, if you're thinking positively and making the deal, you're saying, "All right, if you can get Sam Darnold for a two, then we would have been then would two second round picks in Drew Locke and Sam Darnold. If you find your quarterback, is two second round picks worth it? You'd have to say yes, for so, sure. So if the cost now that that being said, if Darnold's cost goes up to a first rounder. I think then the dynamic changes and you're probably uh, then your hedges, you know, it's, it's, it's a veteran, it's, it's a veteran like a Jameis Winston, perhaps more, more so than somebody on his first contract. And, and, and offensive coordinator, same different. I think unless it's a complete disaster, it's going to be the same because I really don't think they want to pull the ripcord on another offensive coordinator after one year, unless it gets really bad. If it continues like this, 
I think you'll see Drew Locke back. I think you'll see Pat Shermer back. But I think you'll see another quarterback come in at least to provide, if not competition, just another possibility. Like I said, a hedge on your bet. Guys, rank these guys for me. I'm going to give you four quarterbacks that could potentially be available for the Broncos next year. Four guys, Matthew Stafford, because Detroit lost today. Now they're maybe in that conversation at three and five of, okay, maybe we are looking for another quarterback. Uh, Matt Ryan, who we just saw today, who I think the more games he plays, he's not going to be available, but potentially mm-hmm. still there. Sam Darnold and Jameis Winston. I would go in terms of possible for the Broncos. In terms of how, which one you would want for the Broncos next year, if well, Drew Locke doesn't work out. It, or it, if, if this is the hedge quarterback. So Drew's sure. still here. Yeah. If Stafford's the guy, then Drew, it's it's done for Drew. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I, I don't think the Broncos are going to be willing to say that because I think they're going to see enough. And the other thing with Stafford, the, co- the cost probably starts at a first-round pick yep. with him. And even though he's going to be going into year year 13, Matt Ryan, I, I, I think you put him kind of down fourth on that list just because the Falcons are playing better. Now they're about to have some tough games coming up here, but are they going to be in a situation where they're sitting at say six and 10 at the end of the year, but can say we were six and five with Raheem Morris. Dirk Cutter is a, you know, kind of like, kind of like Kyle Shanahan in terms of being a favored offensive coordinator for, for Matt Ryan. So Atlanta might be kind of status quo, see what we do next year with this combo together for a full season. And then, so that would, and I'd say Jameis Winston's probably third. So basically, basically, I'd say Darnold won Stafford two, just because I think we'll see enough to where the Broncos don't want to completely move on. But if it's if it's Stafford, it means the next eight game guys were eight games guys were disastrous, or it means that Drew Locke got hurt, and then you're saying okay, he's injury prone on top of that. I so I really hope we're not talking about Matthew Stafford, guys. Yeah, um, I think if it's a, com- a competition with Drew, uh, then the best person to be, to be there is uh, is either Darnold or Winston. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt Ryan isn't going anywhere. He's, yeah. he's too good. Uh, I saw enough today to say <laughs> getting rid of him would be idiotic. His, um, wor- his worst throw was effectively a punt today. Yeah. I mean, think about that. Yeah, it didn't, he, uh, Broncos it, didn't do anything with it. He gets more mobile by the weeks, it seems. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, Jeremiah Tatcher didn't even touch him. Yeah. That was so bad. <laughs> that was <laughs> so bad. The, the guy I really felt bad for in that play was uh, Draymond Jones because yeah. he's just going in the wrong direction, and, and he's going off in, off in the opposite direction. And because of that, it was one of those plays where I didn't have the binoculars and I'm watching it develop. I'm like, Oh my God, Ryan's got 20 yards here. If he just, if he just gets away. <laughs> I, could, I just couldn't believe that. Like Matt Ryan moved like five inches and somehow literally avoided being touched by Jeremiah Tachi. Like, bro, you square up and make a play. Oh my gosh. Um, could have been a strip sack. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay, the last thing I want to discuss here uh, from a debate perspective is the Broncos' decision and Vic Fangio's decision. I literally, you could see it on the TV. He made the decision. I watched his lips say, punt it. Fourth and three, was it? Fourth and three? Maybe it's fourth and seven. I don't know what it was. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what it was. 
from the 41-yard line, 58, 59-yard field goal attempt, decides to punt it down 3-0 early. Your thoughts, Mace? Oh, uh, well, it was interesting because, you know, there was a timeout involved with that. And, uh, oh, right. And what happened was that Vic said his instinct was go for it, and Tom McMahon said, no, we need to punt. Huh. So wow. That, that, that means that, and, and that means the decision in that case would have come from McManus testing pregame to decide whether that distance is, is good enough or not. Because typically what BMAC does is he goes out there and t- takes a bunch of shots from different ranges going at each end of the field, gauges the wind, gauges the conditions and says, okay, this is my line here. Uh, I'm calling BS. Wow. Yeah. I'm calling BS one. On the pre, you know, they had Jay Feely on this one, so he always gets some good stuff uh, from the kickers. He said that McManus before the game said he's good up to up to sixty nine today. Wow. Okay. Nice. Um, What's so, going on there? So that makes no sense. And then I watched, like the reason. This is what I thought happened. And again, I'm not calling Vic Fangio a liar. I'm just telling you what it what I saw happen. They were going to punt it. Then Tom McMahon comes over to Vic Fangio. They start having a conversation. Vic burns the timeout. Mm -hmm. The conversation goes on, and then I watch Vic Fangio say out loud, punt it. So what I thought happened was Tom McMahon came over and said, hey, he can make this. He burned the timeout. They talk about it. He's saying, hey, you know, he hit from whatever. And then Vic, Vic said, ah, yeah, just punt it, just punt it. This is something that we need to ask McMahon about at the end of the week because what Vic, is, what Vic said is that McMahon talked him into punting it. Oh, God, that's wow. so hard to believe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what? I'll, I bet Tom McMahon will say, listen, I burned the timeout. I told him to punch it. I, everything was my fault. I'm the reason that we didn't get it inside the 15-yard line. I'm the reason the defense gave up a touchdown on that drive. I uh, was in Drew Locke's head and told him to throw it off his back foot in the fourth. Oh, my gosh, guys. Screw this. Screw this. Screw this. I'll never forget when, uh, when I asked Tom McMahon, like, what does the conversation look like when um, a coach tells you, uh, that a player's too valuable to play on special teams. And he, he was, like, so defiant. He was like, there is no conversation. I just say, okay, sir, and we move on. <laughs> Man, he's a, good, he's a good guy to have work under you, that's for sure. Or yeah. be your boss, because he's just going to fall for everything. He's going to be the fall man for everything. But, Ryan, to, to answer your question, I may be the only one who thinks this, but good call. Oh. Good, good call mm. to punt it. You are down 3-0. And look, obviously, you execute the punt better. You also don't call a timeout, so I wouldn't have done those things either. But if you don't get that, you're in the exact same position that you were in just a couple plays earlier. And you are then right after that giving up that 51-yard touchdown. And then how does that look? So we know how it turned out, but how does that look? If then, because they hit on a 51-yard touchdown pass that next drive, they would have got the ball. 51 yards away from the end zone there. So then they just go hit a 51 yarder. Then I don't think anyone is saying, I think they should have gone for it. Zach, I appreciate you being on that Hill because I completely disagree. And it would be interesting. (laughs) It would not be interesting if we didn't have some disagreement. Just if 
you know what? I can't, um, and I, that's the thing. I can't imagine McManus saying that he wouldn't be good from that range because it's like 68, 70 degrees today. The roof is open. The wind isn't really a factor. I, I, I'm pretty sure that McManus would have said, yeah, I can hit it. I mean, we're not at sea level, but we're a thousand feet up, I think. Even if McManus didn't think he could hit it, he would have said he could hit it. Yeah, it's true. It doesn't add up. None of and maybe that's why maybe that's why Vic or McMahon, whoever was that called it off, didn't trust him, is because he's going to say he can hit it from however deep. Yeah, yeah. I I just you know someone in the comments here saying it doesn't matter. We didn't lose by three. I just thought that was the game. You lost the game. Like uh, the game got away from you in that moment as you didn't tie it up, and then they took a two score lead. You only were ever able to get it within one score from then on. Like, um, you, and it just, everything happened the worst it could have. Um, and I thought you should have known going into this game, and especially after the first drive was relatively easy uh, for the Falcons to move the ball, you just needed to know that it was going to be a shootout uh, and you weren't going to be able to play the, like, just punt it back to them and get the ball back quickly. Well, what's interesting is the Broncos are, I believe, the only team in the NFL to not convert a fourth down this year and still holds true after this game 0 for 2. Wow. The, wow. What about, huh? What about, uh, wasn't it fourth down when they threw to Albert Okawebunam in the back of the end zone last week? Yeah, but that wouldn't count as a conversion. It would count uh, as a play because of the penalty. Okay. All right. Yeah. Sure. So. Whew, I was sweating there. Um, I, I, <laughs> you I went on a technicality. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> I think they've had a couple like that. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I you got to be more aggressive. Just be aggressive all the time and just live with the consequences. That's my, that's what I believe. Like, just put the pedal to the floor. Uh, and if you crash into a wall. Th- then you feel better about it than you know mm-hmm. just losing the race from going and, too slow. And here's the thing is this game, we talked about it before, was not a must win. It, it wasn't next week and the week after are must wins. So then you do have to be aggressive. And because, you know, if you lose next week, the season's probably over. You're, you're sitting mm-hmm. at three and six. But give it, give it all you have and, and do those aggressive things because the worst thing is you don't convert those and you lose. You got to give yourself a chance by being aggressive. So next week and the week after, I'd be more on your side. Hundred percent, hundred percent on that. That it's you're going into must-win territory. The only thing that happened today is you burned up your margin for error. But the next few games were they were always the most important of this of this run. It was always going to be the AFC games that mattered most in this four-game stretch before they take on the Saints. So you know what? You've still you're you're still got a pulse. You're 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 still got a heartbeat. But now you got you you can't start slow. Look, you can't you can't. that's I think the first thing for next week in in Vegas. Don't dig yourself that fort that fourteen point hole in the first half. Actually, come out and play and, and play better and keep the thing on even terms for a while. I will be so, I will be so relieved if they start the game with like a scripted drive that plays to the strengths of Drew Locke in this offense, and they go put it in the end zone. And, and well, the, and the other thing is, I would hope that next week. It won't look like this for the defense. You hope A.J. Boye gets to the protocol. You hope you have Bryce Callahan back. You should have Shelby Harris back. I think it looks a lot different on the defensive side because, uh, you know, for all we're talking about Drew Locke, part and parcel of this game today is you, they, weren't get, they weren't able to get pressure. They couldn't play Russian cover, and it got out of hand too quick. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 
Well, uh, want to give a shout out to Breckenridge Brewery, the best damn beers in the universe. I, I've got my mug here, Breck Brews. <laughs> um, I think everyone could probably use a Breck Brew after that one. Uh, and uh, so check them out. I recommend the Strawberry Sky. That's my personal favorite, but they're really all good top to bottom. They just came out with the Juice Drop IPA, a new IPA in their family. Excited to try that one. Might might even see if that mixes well with the Strawberry Sky for a, for a alternate RK special. Uh, but shout out to them and to anyone who's watching this on YouTube. We'd love if before you logged off, you hit us with a little thumbs up on the video and maybe subscribe to our channel as well. But for today, that's going to wrap it up for us on the DNVR Broncos post game. Uh, we'll be, of course, right back with you guys tomorrow morning uh, on the podcast. So tune in with us then. But until then, have a great rest of your Sunday.